Thank you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you so much. What an honor. I had no idea that Pastor Phil's dad was in the Korean War, and I'm forever grateful for President Truman sending the U.S. soldiers to intervene. My dad was born in Pyongyang, North Korea, what is now the capital of North Korea, and he didn't have any say in it, but when uh, World War II was over and Truman and Stalin divided Germany, East Germany being communist, West Germany being democratic republic, the same thing happened with Korea. North Korea was communist, South Korea was democrat, but he lived in North Korea, he was trapped. And then Kim Il-sung, the uh, dictator, decided to invade South Korea and unite all of Korea under communism. And that's when Truman said, you're violating our agreement. He sent General Douglas MacArthur, who was in Japan at that time, to bring what was called the Incheon invasion, which is this brilliant strategy that had split the North Korean army in half. And he was able to push the North Koreans to the Chinese border. And my dad, who was in prison as a pastor, by the way, communism is an atheistic ideology. And the MO is to silence and cancel pastors. And I see Marxism coming into California. And they try to silence us. But we took a stand because of my history, because what I saw my father do. And he was, he was arrested for being a pastor, not because he was protesting. He was just a pastor. They arrested all the pastors. But thank God for the U.S. intervention because they were able to push the North Koreans uh, back. And my dad was released. He gathered his family. They migrated to South Korea, ended up in a Presbyterian church, a small Presbyterian church of 80,000. And uh, it's called Yonat Presbyterian Church. My mom and my grandparents were, they were the elders. They helped literally build that building. Uh, that's where Billy Graham preached during the Korean War, in that famous church. And... Um, so I come from very godly roots, and I thank God for that. Uh, but my grandfather was a banker. He literally built that building uh, with the finances that God had blessed him with. And as a result of that, uh, my mom and dad were brought together through a matchmaker. Now, this is Korea back in the 50s, okay? Uh, but you still had a say in it. I mean, if you didn't like the other person, you could say no. But they were brought together, and my mom was only 18 years old. My dad was 24, and they said yes. And uh, they got married and then had me, and I would not be here. It wasn't for the U.S. soldiers that intervened. Can we thank God for America? You know, people say, why are you so patriotic? You're an immigrant. I came here when I was five years old. I'm not born here. I love United States, and uh, this is not hyperbole. I've been to 94 nations around the world. We're in 70, our apostolic network. And so it's not an exaggeration. Uh, and yet, every time I come back, even though California is a progressive left socialist state, and yet I say, I thank God I'm an American citizen. This is the best nation in the world by far. I mean that with all my heart. And so I'm so grateful that uh, my parents immigrated and I uh, grew up here in the United States, met my wife at a Bible study during the Jesus Revolution. Uh, it was a 2,000-member Bible study in Washington, D.C., right near the White House. And, um, and we met each other. We're both leaders of that. So I want to introduce Pastor Sue. She's called Mama Sue. Honey, why don't you stand up? Let people... And then we've been married 44 years. And uh, my son was born a year into our marriage. And so, son, why don't you stand up? This is Pastor Gabe. Gabe, our firstborn. 
And then I have a lot of dear friends. I want to introduce Phil. I think you may already know them because he's the top CPA in Orange County and, and maybe even in the country. But Phil Libertori, why don't you stand up? Dana, why don't you stand up? He's my CPA. And I asked him to come. And uh, is David. I see David there as well, his, his son-in-law. And um, Rosanna, where are you? Rosanna is part of Revive California, and she's part of HIM. And then I have uh, another son who's with me, and this is Jeremy. And Jeremy, you got something in your hand? or Yeah, let me, let me. I brought some books with me, and I just want to just highlight them. By the way, uh, I'm not selling any books. It's only by donation because I am a chancellor of a university called Wagner University. And uh, we have translated the whole curriculum that Peter Wagner started in 1998, and I took over in 2010. And we are in some of the poorest nations, and we're training pastors because it's part of the Great Commission. We're to disciple nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You all know that, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so what I've been doing is, is that I've been raising funds for our pastors who can't afford tuition. And so... Um, all the proceeds of this will go 100% to that. But this is my latest book. came out last year, Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival. And uh, I share the story about the lawsuit going all the way to the Supreme Court. But I also encourage, because I'm going to share one of the principles from this book, is always the darkest time before the light of revival breaks out. And so that's this book. Modern Day Apostles, I, I talk about apostles are for today. When he ascended into heaven, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we come to the unity of faith, until we come to a mature man, to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. Now, that's in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13. And to think it only was during the New Testament period is ridiculous. We believe that all the gifts are for today. Can I hear an amen? Am I preaching to the choir here? <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, uh, I, I believe that they're modern-day apostles. There, no one is going to replace the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They hold a special place, and we see that in Revelation 22. But, but as far as apostles, just like there are people who we, we recognize as pastors and evangelists, why do we have our time recognizing prophets and apostles today? And so I give 28 characteristics of a modern-day apostles. And by the way, I also include women. Because it's ridiculous to think when he, the Bible says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's ridiculous to think that God just gave men spiritual gifts. He gave it to the whole body. And then let me make one more point. It's ridiculous to think that apostles are only on the church mountain. Only 1% of the church in America is in full-time vocational ministry. 99% are in the marketplace. And so he didn't just give the one percenters the gift of apostleship or prophet or evangelist. He gave to the whole body. So 99% of the apostles are in the marketplace. So I give a whole teaching on marketplace apostles. You may be a marketplace apostle. I think Kelly is a marketplace apostle. I know Phil Libertori is, is an apostle, but he's in the marketplace. And so we have to recognize until we do that, we're not going to come to the unity of faith. We're not going to come to the mature man, the fullness of the statue. How many of you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Come on. And God says, I'm waiting for my church to get aligned. And so, 
And then uh, I, I'm an evangelist, and I wrote a book on power evangelism, uh, that the way we're going to advance the kingdom, because traditional Christianity is not going to deal with Gen Z. They're so turned off. They're the least church people. They need an encounter with the Holy Spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. So spirit-led evangelism. I'm going to give this to Pastor Tammy to give it out to anyone in the church. Anyone having a birthday today? <laughs> Maybe that might be an easy way to do it. Otherwise, if you want a free book, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll get you that. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60, and I'm so excited, and what an honor. Thank you so much. By the way, what a great church. Can we give a hand for the worship today? I mean that. You know, a lot of times I go to church services, and I'm the guest speaker, and I don't know any of the songs, but I do every song here. And that's so much fun for me because I love to worship, and uh, so great worship, and, and a great staff. We've already met Pat, uh, Pastor Nathan and, and uh, Madison and some of your leadership here, and just a beautiful church. And honestly, to be honest with you, if we didn't have a prophetic calling to Pasadena in L.A. County, we would live in Orange County. <laughs> Seriously. And uh, because, you know, it's just... Uh, it's just so woke in Los Angeles. I mean, the spirit of stupid is over our, our county. <laughs> We've defunded the police. A billion-dollar budget, we took $500 million off, and we wonder why homicide has gone up 47% in L.A. County. Rape. Even when you go on a subway, there's a sign that there's no police on duty. They just let you know there's not enough police. There used to be a police station in um, LAX, and... If you lose your passport, you don't go to the airline. You go to the police station because it's by law that passports have to be turned into the nearest police station. So I went there, and they said, we're closed. And I thought, oh, I forgot the funding of police. And so that's just one of so many zillions of things that are going on in California. And, and yet, I so appreciated Pastor Phil saying, I want to encourage you in the midst of this high inflation, I want to encourage you that God is on the move and we're on the verge of the greatest revival in the history of the church. I want to say that. And I, this is not hype. I'm not just saying this, but it is scripture. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 60. And as you know, uh, Isaiah prophesies more about the Messiah than any other prophet. Isaiah is quoted more in the New Testament than any other prophet. It's one of my favorite prophets uh, of the Old Testament and, uh, of course, you have Isaiah 53 prophesying specifically about the cross. In fact, I, we own a performance arts building called Ambassador Auditorium. If you've never been to Pasadena, we bought that in 2004. And as a result of that, we're using that to serve our city, but we share the gospel. And what I mean by that is that before every concert is in the contract, if they want to rent out our building, that we have to either by print share the gospel, that has to be in their program, and better yet, if we get a chance to talk, and in the early days, I would get up and say, welcome to Ambassador Auditorium, the new home of Harvest Rock Church, and it's our privilege to open this up for this concert, and it's based on the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, we, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Right there, you're sharing the gospel that Jesus came to lay down his life for us as a servant leader. And so then I would say, enjoy the concert, they were all clapped. And so what happened was is that um, I got a phone call from the maestro, Victor Venner, of California Philharmonic. He said, we're having this uh, concert, 
and we're bringing in this guy named Victor Venner from Vienna, Austria. Uh, he is a virtuoso, and now, by the way, this is not my genre of music, okay? I mean, classical, uh, okay, I like it, you know, if, if I'm there. But I got saved 50 years ago, May 25th, at a Deep Purple concert, so that gives you a little bit of my background, okay? I may have been the first Korean hippie in North America, I'm not sure, but I was just into heavy metal. And um, it's a long story, but the Lord spoke to me that if you really want to follow me, because I had an encounter with the Lord two weeks before, but I was still doing drugs, still partying. And he said, if you really want to follow me, throw away your drugs, leave this concert, Baltimore Civic Center, and follow me. And the moment I walked out of the Baltimore Civic Center, again, without any exaggeration, I was instantly delivered from drug addiction, and I've never gone back, never gone back in 50 years, by the grace of God. And I mean that. Now, obviously, it was during revivals, the Jesus movement, and a lot of my friends who are heroin addicts got instantly delivered. I mean, I like every program that brings deliverance, but I like the one-step program, you know? <laughs> Boom, you get set free. And so, so anyway, that's what happened. And, um, and so uh, the, he said, this guy, uh, he's a virtuoso violinist from Vienna, is going to come, and I'm having a special reception dinner for him. I'd like to invite you and your wife to come. And I was in town. I said, that'd be great because we're trying to reach out to unbelievers. And so Sue and I were there for the uh, reception before the concert would begin. The concert was the next day. Uh, and so I'm talking to this guy. He's Jewish. He's an Orthodox Jew. And I give him a prophetic word. I said, I have a word from God for you. And it got his attention. And what's the, what's, what are you saying? I said, you're performing for your glory, but one day you will perform for the glory of God. And then he said, you got to explain what that means. I said, I will if you have lunch with me. I said, are you still in town after the concert? Yeah, my brother lives in Fairfax, which is a Jewish community. And he said, I'm free on Tuesday. I said, I'll take you out to lunch. So we had lunch, and I used Isaiah to lead him to Yeshua, his Messiah. He gave his heart to the Lord at the end of... Isaiah 53, also Michael 5, 2, out of, you know, O Bethlehem, even though you're the smallest clan in all of Judea, out of you will come forth the king who existed before time was. And after I shared these verses with him, he said, you've convinced me that Jesus is my Messiah. What do I do? It was so easy. I said, well, give your heart to him and follow him. And, and he's so radical, so changed now, he's a professor of music at a Christian college. Come on, let's give Jesus praise and glory for that. But Isaiah is beautiful, and I love Isaiah. It's so powerful, so prophetic, so true. Of course, the word of God is true. But let's read from verse 1. You know this passage. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And I just want to give you some running commentary. I believe the light here is talking about Jesus. The light has come. He is the light of the world. So it's prophesying that the Messiah is going to come. Of course, he's prophesying throughout you know, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, Isaiah 9, 6. And the government will be upon his shoulder. So starting in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, we see the prophecy continuing in Isaiah 60. Verse 2, for behold, darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, which seems like a contradiction, but it's two parallel stream in the midst of the light coming and the glory coming upon him. By the way, glory to me, is the manifest presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, so he's prophesying Jesus coming, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of this, though, there's going to be darkness. 
And, um, and how many know we're in a dark time right now in this country? There's literally darkness among the nations. We talked about North Korea. I mean, they've actually taken a satellite photo of uh, Asia at nighttime. And Japan's all lit up. South Korea's all lit up. China's all lit up. But North Korea is literally black. They have no electricity. They're impoverished. I just came back from Cuba two weeks ago. First time I've ever been to Cuba to preach. They're so poor. It's still under communism. It's an atheistic regime. There's no gas stations that are open. They can't even afford buying gas uh, petroleum from Venezuela as a nation. It's not individual. It's, it's all operated by the government. They can't even afford it. So the only reason why we got around was because our apostle in Cuba had uh, stockpiled gallons with five-gallon tanks of gasoline behind his house, and that's the way we were able to get around and, and continue ministry. There's no cars on the road except for certain governmental official cars. The average Cuban makes $25 a month. And our church members, we're talking about our people are eating one meal a day because they're so impoverished. So this is what communism does, okay? And so, anyway, I'm not here to talk about capitalism, free market versus communism, but it's a dark time for so many nations. And so we think we have it bad, but it's nothing compared to some of the other nations, what they're suffering right now, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's North Korea or Cuba. But God, amen? Because in the midst of the darkness, revival is breaking out in Cuba. In the midst of the persecution, I met a pastor who had been in jail seven times for preaching the gospel. In fact, if you have a gathering of more than 200 people under Castro, Fidel Castro died around three, four years ago, but under his reign, you would get arrested for having a, a gathering like that. Well, his brother Raul took over, and now there's freedom, freedom to preach. And we had meetings up to 2,000. It was just amazing, such a breath of fresh air, until we started to preach on things that they didn't like, and they shut down our meeting, even the meeting of 2,000. So very much, again, still in control. They're to remind us they're still in control. But nevertheless, uh, there's been a lot of restrictions that have been lifted off of that. But revival's breaking out. You can't shut down. How many know the kingdom is an everlasting kingdom? And how many know his, that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever? Amen. Revelation eleven fifteen. We win. And so uh, we know that uh, it, it's going to be glorious. But in the meanwhile, we have to go through the darkness and the light. And so, behold, darkness covers the earth, deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear before you. And look at this in verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawning. Lift up your eyes round about and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. So there's a lot here. In this passage, that kings will come to your light. And what that's talking about is, we're, we're, yeah, it's talking about geopolitical peop, uh, 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 kings, geopolitical, like King Charles now. He just became king after being prince forever, <laughs> like some 40 some years, whatever. But he's now king. But I really believe it's people of influence. It's like you as a church, the church of influence is kings and priests. And I also believe that we're talking about leaders. It's interesting in Acts 9, verse 15, where 
uh, Ananias is given the mandate to pray for Saul. And he said, Lord, this guy's been killing the church. He said, no, he's a chosen instrument of mine. And we know he's called to the Jews. He's called to the Gentiles. But in between those two people groups, it's kings. Now, I want to just make this statement. The harvest is among the poor, historically. I mean, speaking as a missiologist, I went to Fuller for eight years, Fuller Seminary, and I was in the School of World Missions studying under Peter Wagner. So harvest is among the poor, but transformation of society takes place among kings. And so to whom much is given, much is required. And I want to prophesy to you that as people of influence, as a church of influence, God's called you to transform California. Not just Orange County, but he's calling you to transform California. So how do, what does that look like? Let me just give you one, one, to me, the number one injustice issue, because you're to bring justice and righteousness. I love what uh, um, Kelly, was his name, said. Uh, he says, seek first, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and do what's right, the word righteousness. The word righteousness in the New Testament encompasses justice and righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know that, Romans 14, 17. But here's the point I want to make. In the Old Testament, it says, Psalm 89, verse 14, the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. Love and truth proceed from his throne. Those four pillars are absolutely crucial to see what does transformation look like on earth. Righteousness doing what's right, right before God and right with one another. Justice, we're talking about biblical justice, but we're talking about just laws. So, for example, slavery was absolutely the number one injustice issue of our time until the Civil War, until the 15th Amendment, uh, actually starting with the 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment, 13th Amendment, set them free. What was the Emancipation Proclamation under uh, Lincoln's decree became law. And then the 14th Amendment, given freedom of speech, freedom of property, freedom to carry guns for the African-American. But the 15th Amendment gave them the right to vote. And that was the last thing that needed to be done. So this is really, really important that you understand this. That was the number one injustice. So what's the number one injustice in our, our day today? And California's leading the world in it, leading the United States. Hands that shed innocent blood, abortion. Is the number one injustice issue. We're all made in the image and likeness of God. And this is not about a woman's right to choose. I believe in a woman's right to choose, but that's not your body. It's a different body. It's a different set of chromosomes. And, and that baby is made in the image and likeness of God. Why is that? You know, I heard one pastor say, well, what's the big deal? They're going to go to heaven. I said, listen, you don't understand the shedding of innocent blood brings on a spirit, a principality, empowers the devil like no other, uh, no other injustice. Why do you think they had Molech offering up child sacrifice, Baal worshipers offering up child sacrifice, and empowered Satan Throughout the centuries and millennia, we're talking about shedding of babies' blood that empowers Satan. And so if Satan has gone so powerful here, I want to submit to you, is because California is the number one abortion state. Number two, I want to submit to you, we have now codified abortion into our constitution starting in January 1st. What we were fighting against, that it would not happen, but now 
has become legal because the state assembly, state senate, plus Governor Newsom signed off on it. And now he's putting billboards in red states saying abortion is still legal in California. Come to California. It's a sanctuary state for abortion. We'll pay for your travel. We'll pay for your uh, lodging. And we'll pay for your abortion at our tax dollars. How evil is that? If that's not empowering Satan, I don't know what it is. And so we are the ecclesia. We're to attack the gates of hell. We're not to be defensive. We're to be offensive. We have to kick in the gates of hell. So it's dark. It's evil what we're seeing. But this is the number one issue, and that's why I've been a pro-life um, advocate. And that's why we did the call prayer meeting with Lou Engel back in 2000, 2003. It was to gather young people to pray for the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And can we thank God for the reversal June 24th, 2022? But now it's on a state level. And this state has now codified it into the Constitution. In other words, in order to reverse it, we have to have a governor that's pro-life. We have to have a majority of state senate, state assembly, and then we need to pass another bill that will reverse the codification of abortion in this state. And I declare to you, one day, this is what transformation looks like, the one day California will be a pro-life state. I'm declaring for you. I really believe that. I really believe that God called Sue and me out of Washington, D.C. to come to Los Angeles for a great revival, great harvest. And to me, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you, it's in Isaiah. Here we see revival, the characteristics of revival. And there's three characteristics of a historic revival that's here, that's in my book. The first characteristic of a historic revival is that the church gets revived. It always begins with you and me. Arise, shine, for a light has come, and the light is going to bring light of salvation to believers. That's you. And then the glory will appear upon us. That's the first thing that takes place when Jesus Christ comes. He brings his church, his ecclesia. And so you're, and by the way, when we sued Governor Newsom, it's not like we didn't go to him first. We sent a letter with 150 pastors signing because he had locked down, he had said, abortion clinics are essential, marijuana dispensaries are essential, a strip club in San Diego is essential, of course, Costco is essential. But we wrote to him with 150 pastors saying, with all due respect, the church has been essential for 2,000 years. We're the most essential institution. Think about it, we're the most essential institution, you and I are eternal. There's three things that are eternal. The word of God's eternal. That's why we have to be people of the Bible. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He says that twice in Matthew 5 and Matthew 25. Secondly, the kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And it says that throughout scripture, but Isaiah 9, 6, his government will have no end. But thirdly, it's you and me. We're eternal. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. If you know Jesus, you have eternal life. This is just a minor test. What we're going through is so short, and how you steward your life in this lifetime determines all of eternity. Because there's going to be rewards. The Bible talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there's going to be rewards given to us. Now, in Revelation, what we're going to do is we're going to take our crowns and lay it at his feet because it's really all his grace that we are able to do anything for his glory. But he's going to, I, uh, 
There's a, there was a great book that came out of the 70s during the Jesus People Movement called Destined for His Throne by, by Bill Harmer. I think it was Paul Bill Harmer. And basically what it was, it was endorsed by Billy Graham, one of the few books that Billy Graham endorsed, that he says the whole purpose of our here is to, to prepare us. This is training and reigning, that we're being trained and prepared for the real assignment that's going to come for all of eternity. And that makes sense. I mean, this is such a short life. Eternity is so long. What are we going to do? Just play the harp and, you know, worship and float around? No. God is going to create a new heaven, new earth, and he's going to give assignments based on our faithfulness here. And it's just like Gideon's army. You know, he had thousands, but God said, I want you to send them away. And those who um, uh, lap the water with their hand and they're still alert and and battle ready, I want you to pick them. Unfortunately, there was only 300 of them, but with the 300, he um, uh, killed the, the, the enemy. And so, anyway, the point I want to make is that stewardship is a huge issue in Susan, my life, how we steward our finances. It's not ours. If I could just say this, one of the biggest lies in the church, and I've been a pastor for 44 years, the biggest lie in the church is that this is my hard-earned money and I can do whatever I want to do with it. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not your money. It's God's money. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Earth and the world and those who dwell within. You're his and everything you have. And then to just make sure you understand that, Haggai 2 verse 8, silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. You talk about gold, this all belongs to me. It's not yours. I'll give you the privilege of stewarding this. And I want to give just you to give a 10%. Why? Why? He does, God doesn't need money. Why? It's for our benefit. First of all, it's to keep us from the love of money because the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's one thing that I fear for here in California because only the strong survive in California. Now, we have so many young people come to our church every year, but they're gone after six months. They come for the dream of making it in Hollywood. They're a big star in their, you know, uh, high school production in Madison, Wisconsin, and they think, okay, I'm going to come out here and make it big. And, and then they realize the cost of living, the reality. But those who do make it are, are very successful. And that's why you guys are still here, because you're successful for such a time as this. Have you asked yourself, why am I born during this time, during the most woke period of America history? I'm talking about the America history. I was a history major in college, and so I studied U.S. history. There's never been a time like this. I believe because you're an Esther. I believe you're a Daniel. I believe that God's called you for such a time as this, Esther 4.14, because he trusts you that you will be carriers of his glory, that you will bring about the, the, you will have the revelation and you will be committed to the great commission of discipling nations beginning in your Jerusalem, whether it's Anaheim or Orange County, and your Judea, for me, it's California, and then the rest of the world. And so I believe as California goes, so goes the rest of the country. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. It is true. And so God has called you for such a time as this. And by the way, those who are seniors, God's not done with you yet. <laughs> studies have shown 
that you have come into the best years of your life from 65 to 75. I'm talking about leadership training. This is secular. 65 to 75, you come into your convergence. And so God's not done with you. Don't think about retirement. There's no retirement in God's kingdom. I, I know... I know what you're thinking. Yeah, you may be not working nine to five, the job you had. But his work, Jesus said, my food is to do the work of my father who sent me. It doesn't stop until we go home to be with the Lord. Billy Graham died age 99, 2018. He was preaching the gospel right before online. And, and this is why I believe he's such an example for all of us. I want Jesus to say, well done good and faithful servant. How about you? Amen. So, so the first, it begins with the church. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Doesn't say the White House. Doesn't say Sacramento. Doesn't say the House of Representatives. It's my people. Now, how many of you are God's people? Okay, if you cannot raise your hand, I'm going to give an invitation at the end of the service for you to give your heart. I'm not joking. I wanted you to become part of his family and have eternal life. Seriously. The second thing that happens, though, is, is that the harvest comes in. When true revival breaks out, the harvest comes in. Nations will come to your light and came to the brightness of your dawning. You have to realize during the Jesus People Movement that started historically right here in Costa Mesa in 1967 with Lonnie Frisbee. I knew Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith. It went from 67 to 77. I mean, this is just from a historical perspective. Obviously, there's an ebb and flow around those years, but it began in 67. 20 million young people got saved globally in that revival. We have not seen a harvest like that since. In America, I mean, around the world is happening, but not in America. And I got saved during that time. I got saved in 73. My wife got saved. Uh, I wouldn't, Pastor Phil, did you get saved between 67 and yeah, so we all did, you know, those who are boomers. And most of the pastors I know uh, who are boomers got saved during the Jesus People movement. And so we see the harvest coming in. We see the harvest coming in Welsh Revival of 1904, and, uh, which is amazing because Evan Roberts was just uh, a coal miner. And, but he came to Moriah Chapel. And, and, and by the way, if you go to Wales, you need to go and visit that little building. It's a building that maybe seats maybe one half of this section here, very small, tiny building. Yet God chose that building and to pour out his spirit upon the youth group, not just the adults, but the youth group. And, and that started a revival. 100,000 people got saved in the next six months in 1904. The, yeah, it's just stunning. But we're talking about wherever true historic revival breaks out, the harvest comes in. Why? Because you fall in love with Jesus, you're in love with Jesus, and what happened with the youth group? They couldn't help but just share. They, wherever they went, they were just preaching the gospel. And so they decided to hit the bars. And they would go into the bars, and their motto was, we're going to preach until they kick us out. And then when they got kicked out, they waited for the patrons to leave, and they preached the gospel to them. <laughs> they went to the jailhouses, emptied out the jails because everyone got saved, and the police had no work. So the police formed Barbara, uh, the, these quartets, you know, just to sing at churches because they got saved as well. It was amazing, amazing revival, Welsh revival. In fact, the missionaries that came to America were American. And so, again, America, the United States saved our nation of Korea twice. 
uh, with the missionaries coming in 1880 and then the Korean War in 1950. But the missionaries were evangelical, and they heard about the Welsh Revival. They said, God, bring the Welsh Revival to Korea, and God answered their prayer. January 1907, the Pyongyang Revival broke out, the capital of all of Korea at that time. And it lasted 45 years and laid the foundation for some of the world's largest churches, including Yonggi Cho's church, that grew to a small size of 750,000 members. And I preached at that church. I was asked to do a healing service for three nights. You talk about being in a surreal surrounding. Just the auditorium is 45,000. That's not including all the overflow rooms that I'm watching you on video, 750,000. It's just like preaching a stadium each night, packed, 45,000. And so that revival was historic. And God heard that. And God heard the prayer of Frank Bartman in Los Angeles. He heard about the Welsh revival. He's the one that wrote the book Azusa Street. He said, God, bring the Welsh revival to Los Angeles. And God heard that prayer, 1906, April the 8th, Azusa Street revival broke out. And as a result of that, majority of the world are now Pentecostal slash charismatic globally among the evangelicals. So I want to just encourage you, the kingdom is advancing. Every day, 180,000, 200,000 people are getting saved around the world. And it's happening, especially among the Muslims. The Muslims are coming. Our apostle in, um, in um, Cairo, Egypt, has planted churches in Syria, Le- Lebanon, all over the place. And he said, uh, it's just amazing. These Muslims are getting dreams of Jesus. They're checking us out, and they're giving their hearts to the Lord, and they're just packed. You know, it's just amazing what's going on. Anyway, so nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawning. So the first sign of transformation, we see the third, I should just back up. So the second sign is the harvest comes, and the third sign is society gets transformed. Society gets transformed. Because the rest of Isaiah 60 going to 61 is talking about transforming. Now, again, you have to understand the context of this is physical Israel. But as you know, prophecy has multiple applications. And we know that the light has come. And what he's talking about is the, that one day, because he had just prophesied the first 40 chapters of the exile of the Jewish people. This is written 725 years before the exile began with the Assyrians and Babylonians. That took place like a few hundred years later, 586 B.C. But he says that they're going to come back to Israel. And, and so he's prophesying. So you have to look at it from an exegetic perspective that is literally going to happen, that they're going to come back and uh, kings will come to our light. And he's prophe- But it's also prophesying to our period. Does that make sense? And then I want to just say, some of the passages is also for the new heaven earth to come. And so you have to read that with that in mind, that it's talking about three stages or three uh, periods of history. So anyway, not to get bogged down in that, but the main thing I want to say is that when he talks about kings coming to the brightness of your dawning, I believe it's talking about our period. We're seeing kings, people coming into the kingdom who are people who are at the top of the seven mountains. And when I talk about seven mountains, I, I want to go back to Lauren Cunningham, Bill Bright. In 1973, they both got the revelation. The way to disciple a whole nation is to divide the nation up into seven mountains. And each mountain is, has tremendous influence on society, like the government mountain, the education mountain 
There's a battle going on right now in school boards in California. The Family Mountain, of course, the most important institution next to the church. Uh, the Church Mountain, but then you have uh, Business Mountain, which is huge. I pick up, there's a lot of business people here. And then you have Arts and Entertainment, and then Media Mountain, seven mountains. One of, you are on one or multiple mountains. So the key is to bring righteousness and justice, love and truth into your sphere of influence in order to see, start seeing transformation. It begins with souls being saved. But you know, the Bible says in Matthew 28, he didn't say go into all the nations and disciple people in the nations. It doesn't say that. It's a disciple nations. He wants nations to be transformed. Of course, it includes winning souls and discipling them, all right? So let me finish up. The last thing is transformation. Two things in here that we see, three things actually, is that it's gonna take kings to transform society. And again, I just want to declare to you, you guys are kings and priests. All of you, by the way, are kings and priests now. Revelation 1, 6 says you're kings and priests. Revelation 5, 10 says you're kings and priests. That's your identity. And this is important because your identity determines your destiny. Knowing who you are helps you to fulfill your destiny in God. I like the way it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a royal priesthood. All of you are royalty and you're a priest. But the transformation also involves finances. It's going to take tremendous amount of money to win elections, to transform society. And here he prophesies in verse 5, then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. Now, this is not an isolated verse about the transfer of wealth. You can look at verse 11. Your gates will be opened day and night as they bring you the wealth of the nations. Same chapter. Haggai 2, 6 says, I'm going to shake all nations that will come with the wealth of the nations, and I'll fill this house with glory. I love, I believe it's Proverbs 13, 22. That a good man or a woman leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren, and the wealth of the unrighteous is stored for, for the righteous. So there's so many verses concerning that. So here's the point I'm going to make to you, and I'm declaring to you. In the midst of this shaking, of economic shake, God is going to blow you away by prospering you financially like never before. It's not hype. I'm not a prophet. I'm not prophet. I'm just basing it on Scripture. It's what the Bible says. And we believe in the Bible. Can I hear an amen? amen? So God says, I'm going to give you the wealth of the nations. Why? Because it's going to take finances to disciple nations, whether it's going to Ukraine, whether it's winning elections here. And so I started a PAC, in fact, two PACs, Super PAC called America Upheld Super PAC, which is for federal election, and our California PAC, America Upheld California because I realized, why should Soros have all the money and win elections and, and elect you know, district attorneys that are absolutely Marxist? We need to get our district attorneys, those who are believers who understand biblical justice elected, and city council members and mayors and local state assembly, state senate. I mean that with all my heart. And so I'm just saying that if you want to be part of it, just sow into America upheld because we need to advance the kingdom of God big time. And so how do we then experience this historic revival? I close with this. It's very simple. It's obedience. I want to give you a verse, Acts 5.32. Look this up. The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. Let me say it again. How many of you want the Holy Spirit? Come on. 
The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. Every time the promise of the Holy Spirit is given, is, is he says, I want you to repent or obey. Repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 3, 19. Joel 2, 28. And afterwards, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. After what? After you return to the Lord, repent. As the Hebrew word should. And verse 12 of, of Joel 2. Return, repent with all your heart. Then afterwards, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's why John Wesley said, you give me a hundred men and I'll include women that love God and hate sin. And I'll usher in the kingdom in one generation. It doesn't take many. It takes the ecclesia that loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They overcame in Revelation 12, 11, by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, the cross is what was the decisive blow where it defeated the enemy. The word of our testament, how are they going to believe without hearing? But here's the thing that is lacking in the church. They did not love their lives even unto death. We have so many woke Christians, pastors who won't even preach that abortion is sin because we don't want to lose givers. Who cares? I mean, we got to speak the truth in love. we got to preach the gospel of the kingdom. God's going to take care of us if we put God's kingdom first, seek first his kingdom. He's going to meet all of our needs. That's why God's blessing your church. Because you have pastors that are courageous pastors. I know them. But again, it's radical obedience. This is what Jesus said. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up the cross daily. What does that mean? You've got to just die to yourself. It's not about you. Not what you want, what you think, what you feel. It's what he wants. Let's all stand up. I want to pray for you. And what I want to do is I just want to lead you in a prayer, a corporate prayer, where you make a radical commitment to Jesus as the Lord of your life. And we can't even do that without his grace. But I feel his grace is here in this room to do that. We love because he first loved us. And I feel the presence of God. I feel his love for you right now. And I want you to pray this prayer, and I just want you to pray with me and just repeat after me, but make it your prayer. In other words, I want you to speak it out because if you confess with your mouth, there's something about declaring Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Would you repeat after me? Just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my selfishness. I repent. Jesus, I give you all that I am and all that I have. I confess Jesus is my Lord. And by your grace, I will love you, I'll radically obey you, and follow you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Give me your power to live for your glory. Now, I'm going to pray over you now. Father, I pray that you fill every single man, woman here, this auditorium, those who are watching online. Your word says, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And Father, we're asking you to give us more of your spirit. In fact, put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and ask God to fill them right now. Father, fill each person. Let the power of God come. Receive the Holy Spirit. Just receive it right now. Let the power of God come and touch you. More, Lord, more of your love, more of your spirit, more of your power in our lives. And by your grace, Lord, we will take up our cross daily, daily commune with you to dedicate our lives for your glory, for kingdom advancement. In Yeshua HaMashiach's name, amen.